This week on Retronauts. I haven't had this much fun since uh, the last time. Hello, everybody. This is Bob Mackey, your host for Retronauts Episode 26 Pocket, and today's topic is Planescape Torment. Um, Before I go into any more detail about this, let's introduce who is on the show today. Um, Who do we have on Skype? We actually have two Skypers. Let's go with the guy whose name begins with a J. Oh, that's me, the recently deceased Jeremy Parrish. Oh, my God, what happened? I thought this uh, this episode was about dying a lot. It is, but you took it way too seriously. Oh, I think. damn it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, R.I.P. Jeremy. Who else is on Skype? Uh, this is Gary Butterfield. And luckily, there's very little consequence for death. Yes. <laughs> In Retronauts, you can die over and over again. It doesn't matter. And Gary has been with us a few times before. He was on the Sega Genesis Portrin, uh, Portrin? Sorry, Portland live show. And he was also on our Out of This World episode. Um, so, yeah. Welcome, Gary. Thanks for joining us. I'm very happy and to be here. Who else is here as normal? Uh, I'm Ray Barnholt, and I'm fit as a fiddle. Ray, that was a, a world-weary <laughs> grunt. Uh, I had to take a second to figure out who you're talking to. Oh, okay. It's like, I had to take stock of the room and realize, oh, it's just you and me. Yeah, that's it. That's we're, right. we're here. It's nice and cozy in the studio. But I apologize. That's okay. Today's episode is a backer episode, and this one comes from David Pascal, and I'll let you know what he says in one second. So David says, Planescape Torment was what originally made me think that video game stories could be anything more than terrible. The combat was at best mediocre, many possible character builds locked you out of the best parts of the game, and a lot of the writing tended towards overly wordy philosophizing. But despite these fairly major shortcomings, the game was a cohesive whole in a way that few games since have matched. The characters that you met during the game were interesting, and you were actively rewarded for exploring their depths through dialogue. The atmosphere was built brilliantly from the moment you first awakened in the mortuary, and the game reacted to your choices in a way that made the story feel much less linear than it actually was. All these factors combine to make the game one of my absolute favorites. With the recent rise of the importance of storytelling in games and the concurrent development, I'm sorry, and the current development of a spiritual successor, it seemed like a good time to have you talk about one of the major touchstones in Western RPG design. And that is from David Pascal. So thanks a lot, David, for supporting this episode. And uh, hopefully they'll be worth your money. <laughs> okay, so today's episode is about Planescape Torment. And just a word of warning, it's a, it's a big, meaty game that I did not have time to play all the way through. I played, I played a lot of it. But um, Gary is here as our ex- expert on Planescape Torment because his, his podcast, Watch Out for Fireballs, did a two-part episode about it, which I, comes highly recommended. But, you know, if you don't want to spoil yourself, you might want to play through while the podcast is going uh, not not at the same time, mind you. It's not that long of a podcast. <laughs> well, and so you have to read a lot during that. During that is true. Format. Yeah, yeah. It's and not it, a podcast my, game. Yeah, my brain doesn't work that way. I don't think anyone's really does. But uh, if you consider this the the Planescape 101, Gary's podcast, Watch Out for Fireballs, is like the advanced Planescape version of uh, this discussion. Yeah. So please check that out. I, I recommend it highly. And um, so let's get into uh, Planescape Torment. So what is it? Well, it's an Infinity Engine game released by Interplay for the PC, uh, developed by Black Isle, and uh, it came out in late 99, actually December 99, uh, almost a year after um, Baldur's Gate. But this game is much better looking than Baldur's Gate, at least from you know my experience. The characters are much bigger, um, the animations are better, uh, things are much more distinct, and that's important for a game where it's a very surrealist landscape with very horrible, ugly things in it. Um, 
This game was led by Chris Avalone, uh, who's been on Gary's podcast a number of times, and he's a legendary game developer. And once you hear what he's worked on, he's essentially worked on every uh, important Western RPG of note, or most of them, actually, from the 90s onward. So we have, like, Fallout 2, Icewind Dale, um, uh, KOTOR 2, Fallout New Vegas, and so on. Like, he is the RPG master. And um, what do you have to say about Chris Avalone, Gary? I know uh, you're a big fan of his stuff. Yeah, he's he's one of my favorite uh, game creators, and uh, there's a, a real through line, you know, in, in the stuff that he does, where it is uh, respecting player choice and emphasizing that as a as a mechanical and, and thematic thing uh, is is really important to him, and I think it shows in all of the stuff he does. Um, you mentioned uh, one of the things you did mention was Alpha Protocol. Oh right, which is, yeah, yeah. One of the the few games I feel you know does kind of moral gray areas almost as well as Planescape. That's very true. And uh, in our last episode, we talked about RPG battle systems. And I feel like this is my own theory, but you can feel free to correct me at any point. Um, I feel like where Japanese RPGs went in a direction that focused on mechanics and, and numbers and battles and systems and things like that, I think Western RPGs focus much heavier on storytelling and, you know, in, in these these gray areas of morality, especially Planescape. Um, do you guys agree with that, that take on the, the different split in RPGs at all? Yeah, I certainly do. Yeah. I mean, it seems obvious even when you just look at the back of a box of like a great Western RPG. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, wow, this is this is really taken seriously, its whole world and everything. Because like, I mean, um, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ray. I mean, yeah, it's not really so much about blowing things out with some new uh, slick-ass battle system or something. Right, I mean, yeah. You know. I mean, like Baldur's Gate, uh, the battles in that, it's like, you know, stand next to the enemy and click on them, basically. Yeah. I mean, there's 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 a lot of planning that goes into it, but the actual way the battles play out where all, it's basically all the math is hidden from you, and you're basically just given the results of that math, like in Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. But um, battles are not a big deal in Planescape. So let me explain a little bit more about what Planescape is, the setting. Um, it's like a, it's a D&D campaign setting. Uh, and, and like any D&D campaign setting, it's really complicated. If this was a D&D podcast, we could probably do like 15 episodes about the Planescape setting mm-hmm. itself. But just in a nutshell, um, it was created to restore the cosmological aspect of Dungeons & Dragons without necessarily mentioning angels and demons, which was a little bit of a sticking point for some, some groups, uh, the whole uh, devil connection with Dungeons & Dragons. So, um, you know, Planescape is basically just a bunch of different dimensions that are interconnected through portals um, with just a very, very surrealist, uh, like, atmosphere. It kind of reminds me of the Sandman comics. Um, Gary, yeah. Jeremy, um, any, any thoughts on this? I don't know a lot about Dungeons & Dragons, unfortunately. Yeah, I, the what I kind of get from Planescape, the the setting, was that it is a successful attempt at making a world where just about anything is possible and having those things live next to each other and, and make a sense. Mm, okay. It's not just a, a cosmology in the world of, of you know angels and demons, but also um, you know clockwork representations of law and uh, you know <laughs> pe- people made out of salt and and things like that. It's it's you know there's there's kind of that thrust where everything exists next to each other, and then this uh, really strong idea that belief is power, uh, which plays out in torment quite a bit. And uh, just this idea, if you were in a, a universe where if someone believes in something enough, it is true, what would that look like and how would that function as a city? And it, it's a big, messy, you know, kind of clockwork, uh, you know, like, and like, you, like you mentioned, intentionally kind of off-putting and, and hostile looking. Right, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like it's, there's a sort of intangible, almost impossible to describe quality about Planescape, the setting, where I can only make comparisons like it's like Sandman. It's like uh, it's like where Beetlejuice lives, basically, just like weird sandworms <laughs> and creatures and 
things of all sorts of, I don't know, just like really creative ideas that go to great lengths to justify themselves. So you talk about like the, the, the salt people world. I'm sure there's an entire mythology about them. The mechanics of how their, their existence um, works is written down somewhere, you know. Well, and that's it's what written I, in the splat book here you can buy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you to get the expansion for, for Salt Land. For yeah. Salt Land. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's a pre-order bonus. The Pepper Seas. Yeah. So what is this game about? Well, you start out as a character called the Nameless One, who is an immortal who has lived many lives but can't remember any of them. And, you know, the premise of the RPG hero with amnesia is probably the most tired idea in the universe. Even games like Phoenix Wright will give the character amnesia occasionally to be like, we need to reintroduce you to these mechanics, so you lost your memory. I mean, he's the Nameless One, but can you input your own name? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> you, well, Wait, Interesting that you bring that up. You can't, but there's a really uh, interesting detail. And one of the things I want to mention about this game is how, how amazing some of the details are. If you, uh, if you lie and say your name is Adon enough times, you will meet Adon. It will mm. create Adon in the world. Ah. So if you, if you need a cover story for a name, um, it eventually will make it true. That's, that's but, uh, incredible. Yeah, this game does yeah. lots of really incredible things, but we'll go into a little bit of that in a bit because I just want to set up the premise because it's important to understand what this is. So, yeah, you play an immortal and with amnesia, which, uh, like, it, it serves the game mechanics because, A, the game needs to go to great lengths to explain to you where you are and what's happening in the world around you. And there's a, lot, there's a ton of world building because, like, nothing in this world is, is like what is in our world. Like, things have so many different meanings. The, the way people live is different. Um, the way people work and, like, you know, live amongst each other is different. So there's a lot of great lengths taken to explain that to you. But also dying is not an issue either in this world because you are an immortal. And when you die, I believe the only thing that happens to you is you are just teleported back to the mortuary slab that you wake up on. Is that correct, Gary? That is correct. Okay, but there's no, like, stat penalties or anything like that? No, there's, there's nothing like that. Okay. And like I said, this game runs on the Infinity Engine, and it looks a lot better than Baldur's Gate, which came just a year before. And I think they were just taking advantage of, like, this will be one of the last 2D RPGs we can make, so we need to make the most of this engine. Because uh, I believe, like, he would do Neverwinter Nights shortly after this, and that was all polygonal, uh, Chris Avalon, and uh, Black Isle as well. So, um, like I said, it, it's an Affinity Engine game, but I, you know, I played Baldur's Gate for this for this podcast, and I didn't play it in the past. And I can go into a little bit more of that why, uh, a little bit um, more as to why. But um, right, it's it's much more intuitive than Baldur's Gate. Like right clicking will bring up this helpful radial menu, which is like a, just a major way to make the game more playable. Um, it makes interacting with the world much more intuitive. And um, one thing to know about this game is that it's, it's incredibly ugly, but in a, in a very intentional way, like. Um, on the cover art, I like to call him Zombie Lenny Kravitz because it's just this blue guy with dreadlocks on the cover, like, giving you a really, like, really pissed off look. And uh, everything in the game is just hideous. I mean, like, there's only so much disgusting quality of the, of the world that this game can render in its low resolution. But, like, it goes to great lengths, again, with descriptions. Like, you are told horrifying things that you can barely make out in the tiny pre-rendered sprites. But everyone is, is scarred up and dripping with pus and ooze, bleeding. Their parts are falling off, things like that. 
Um, yeah, so that's essentially the the premise of uh, Planescape <laughs> Torment. It's it's a happy go lucky world where anything can happen and usually it, does. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that's not. I mean, it starts off a little bit closer to that, and you you do get to see some kind of different worlds where there's a little bit more variety in in the people and a little bit less uh, straight up Fangoria nonsense. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, 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 for sure. You know, in a world where you know people like the undead are a resource to be used as as kind of slaves. Like there are a lot of people you run into who are having that kind of problems. But a lot of it is more more surreal, like somebody who, you know, has no features on their face. Right, you know, As right. opposed to, to actually being gory. It's much more about uh, being off-putting in a way. And, and Beetlejuice is kind of an amazing comparison, actually. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that. Like, that's actually very, like, you could step into the world of, of the sandworms and, and yeah. the, uh, or, or the civil service office of the dead. Yeah, you basically wake up in the waiting room of Beetlejuice in this game. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. But yeah, um, like I said, this is a Dungeons & Dragons game, but the role-playing, at least in terms of pure numbers, isn't as important as you would think. Um, like, you roll a character in the beginning, but essentially, as from what I've heard, like your mental stats are much more important because combat in this game, it's not very good, and it's not always an answer to every problem, as it would be in a lot of other RPGs. So you, you end up talking your way out of a lot of problems, talking your way into certain situations, and just really communication is key in this game to really achieving anything. Because at most, it's a quest for knowledge. Like, you're just trying to figure out who you are, who you've been, and, like, what your life was like or your lives were like in this incredibly strange world. Right, and, and that's uh, it ties into when you mentioned the amnesiac protagonist. Um, unlike many games... It serves the serves the game perfectly because that is the the goal of the game. When people kind of rag on the comment of, combat of uh, torment, it's not you know it's not the point. And and when you get a little bit further in the game, you realize the real enemies and the real threats are not necessarily things you can punch. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so so finding out you know gaining that knowledge, finding out about yourself is rewarded mechanically as well as uh, you know just getting more story, which is oftentimes what happens in, in video games. Like it's actually saying, Hey, this is what you're going to get a better experience reward for talking your way out of a fight than fighting. Right. Like and at, when, at every point the game is pushing you towards that. When you start the game too, like they kind of make a point to let you know, like don't fight everything that's hostile because there are better ways to do things. So it's even reinforced within the game itself, like with tutorial stuff uh, in a way, like there are better things to do in this game than fight because the fighting is basically standing next to a guy until he dies essentially. But I, I think it's like there's not a lot of nuance to combat, but in this game, you're basically like swinging a rotting corpse's arm at an enemy or like the, the weapons are not very uh, – don't have a lot of flair to them. They're just very rudimentary, you know, like a rusty scalpel or like a zombie's arm or like a hammer. You're not like getting like like the ultimate sort of uh, blessed wisdom plus five, you know. It, or the, like, the interesting thing is like you, <laughs> you do, but a lot of that stuff was on purpose to kind of subvert you know what oh, they saw okay. is like you know fantasy mechanics like there are there are only three swords in the game and they're really mm. intense major things and okay. other than that it's you know uh work hooks and and you know rotted arms but a lot of the kind of flashy stuff comes in the spells like the game has uh it was the first time i'd seen a western rpg that has kind of final fantasy style uh cutscenes for spells some of the later spells go you know straight up at final fantasy 7 one winged angel you know wow. you get to see a, see a little movie that shows what's going on when you, cool. you summon I, plane of law cannon. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't reach any of the magic yet, but I know like early on, you're given like a number of roles that you can take, like a mage or a thief or a warrior. But really, like you know, magic is is key in this game to to surviving and to like solving problems. From what I've from what I've, from what I've read and from what I've heard from your podcast, Gary. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about how it's it's you know it's D and D, but not really. I mean, you have your stats, your your wisdom, charisma, intelligence, dexterity, etc. 
you have like your your weapons are measured in like how many dice rolls of power is this and things like that. But I, I think the main D and D quality to this game is it, the way it tells you the story. It's told very much from like a dungeon mastery perspective where. You talk to a person, you go over and click on the person, and it will give you like a description of what they look like, what they're doing. And when you when you go through dialogue with the people, they will pause and take actions. And you know, uh, it's it's very much in like a very third person, omniscient narrator kind of storytelling kind of way, which I appreciate because you know, Dungeons and Dragons is ostensibly about storytelling. It's not just about rolling dice over and over again. And I did I did I did really appreciate that as far you know, thinking about how Western RPGs really embrace story more than mechanics. This is a, definitely a huge example of that. Yeah, and, and, and that intersection between the two, like giving you a mechanical imperative to pursue the story. Right, right. And it, it's weird because, like, at this point in history, console RPGs and PC RPGs were incredibly different. And I was, like, directly in the Final Fantasy camp. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, I'm playing Final Fantasy VIII. That's when this game came out. FF8 was out. I could not care about Infinity Engines or anything like that. And I feel like I, I really missed out on some experiences that I'm only catching up with now because, like, this game is much different than I thought it would be. I thought it would be very, like, micromanagey, Baldur's Gate-style uh, RPG. But it, essentially, it's an adventure game with some light RPG elements. I mean, you can approach it in many different ways. But the way I was playing it was, like, sort of, like, dialogue trees, um, you know, looking for items, things like that. Um, not not your standard RPG stuff, at least Japanese RPG stuff. Yeah, you know, I think I feel like that's such a big thing about Dungeons & Dragons, you know, the original thing is that, you know, it's to me it's not so much a game as it is just, like, a group storytelling. Yeah, yeah, I mean... And, you know, the thing with all these games that are based off D&D stuff so heavily is that, you know, it's it, it sort of functionally like a D&D novel, you know, because the storytelling is already there and you're just like... It, it feels like most of the time the designers just can't do much except, you know, plug in all this dialogue and story and stuff to make right. it seem as... Uh, deep and uh, and dynamic as uh, you know D and D campaign with your friends, mm-hmm. and so you know I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily because you know I like RPGs of all kinds, but it's just like it's one of those things that really differentiates that whole pen and paper world from you know the video game world. It's just yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. so much more about storytelling and just making up your own stuff as it goes along, and having a campaign that can go on you know for a decade or more if you want to with the same characters. Right. I mean, there's a podcast out now uh, that a bunch of comedians basically play Dungeons and & Dragons, and yeah. very little of it is rolling dice. It's all about right. storytelling, making up zany, crazy adventures uh, with your friends. And this is not zany or crazy, but it is quite an adventure. And, in fact, we're talking about just in terms of the sheer text it's using to communicate this story. Um, I read that it had 800,000 words in, in the final version of the game. That's mm-hmm. a lot of words. And I find that the game has the, has the freedom to use um, like relatively unsophisticated uh, means like text to communicate a story, but it does so much more effectively than it would have with graphics and also much more affordably. You know, it's telling you these things about your, you meet this person, it gives you a description of their face. You, the game doesn't need to render their face. That description right. is in your mind, and, it, and it's a great way to go about doing things. And I think Gary even called it like a visual novel, which, um, I mean, it doesn't look like a visual novel, but the way it tells its story is very similar to one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just a couple of things I want to touch on. Um, what you had said, Ray, uh, there's definitely, a, I think, a continuum of that, of games that are more successful at adapting that side of the Dungeons & Dragons experience versus yeah. just the, the, the kind of dice rolling section. Um, because the closest thing to, you know, a, a, the dice rolling kind of tactical 
you know, tabletop experience. It would almost be something like a, a tactical game like Final Fantasy Tactics, just to say tactics over and over and over, where, you know, <laughs> you're just, you have a certain number of movement points, um, you know, you have a certain percentage of chance to hit somebody. That is like a, almost a pure expression of that side of it. Yeah. But, but this game does such a good job of actually making a, an interactive story where the way you're kind of comporting yourself, um, you know, really matters. And uh, you do have that, that sense of agency and interactivity yeah. with the world. Yeah. Um, you know. yeah, yeah. yeah. Minimizing that whole taking actions part of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and there's, and there's a, there's such a, a wide kind of swath of that because Baldur's Gate does that all right. And I think that um, you're possibly a little bit hard on the Baldur's Gate combat. Like it doesn't, I am. doesn't I have to be. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't give it enough time to be honest. And I know you're a huge fan of Infinity Engine games. I'm just yeah. a Philistine. I'm approaching this from that angle, Gary. <laughs> so, well, it's, uh, it's, just, it's funny because when I play, I, I mean, I love, I, I'm in both camps. I love Final Fantasy and I was playing Final Fantasy 8 at the same time I was playing this. Oh, wow. Um, but oftentimes my characters were just facing each other, hitting each other too. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, right. it was, the, I had a, a similar experience to that. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and another thing uh, Planescape did uh, is they have like okay, so last generation of consoles, the big thing was morality systems. Like, hey guys, you can be good or bad in our game. We're changing the way you think about goodness and badness. But you know, secretly, the bad guy might be good and the good guy might be bad. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> morality's mm-hmm. morality's complicated. <laughs> but at the end, oh, every, yeah, he's bad. <laughs> uh, in the end, it turns out we're all bad, and we yeah. shouldn't have bought that game right, in the first yeah. place. But uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, but okay, morality systems. Planescape does it extremely well. Um, I didn't have enough experience with the game to sort of see how it paid off. But uh, Gary, you talked about you just recently did, or recently, as in when you recorded the episode, you did a pure evil run, and like. Like classic D&D, it has alignment systems. So depending on your actions, uh, you can fall into one of the, what, eight or nine alignments in D&D? Yeah, nine. Oh, there's nine. Okay. And it's not like you're going to choose, like, the explicitly good or the explicitly bad option. In these cases, there are a lot of gray areas, some of which you don't realize the effect of until much later in the game. Um, Gary, can you talk about any of the morality uh, systems in play in, uh, in Planescape? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, because w- one of the things that this game did uh, that its predecessors didn't do, you know, being good or evil in Baldur's Gate uh, is just I'm going to I'm going to save the kid and not ask for a reward, or I'm going to ask for a reward. And those are the two; those are your options. And uh, in this game, they really wanted to make it. You know, what if there is a situation instead of a, a a good path and a bad path? What if there are two good paths? You know, what if there are two bad paths, and you just have to choose which one you think will do the least harm? Um, there's there's a lot of times. Or what if you you know everything is mixed? It is no. It's not the the truth isn't in the middle. The truth is on both sides. You know, every 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 time there's an antagonistic relationship set up, uh, both sides have a strong argument and kind of an ideological backbone and, and you can choose which one you agree with more because it's much more about that choice than actually explicitly doing good or doing evil. Yeah. Um, and that ties into this kind of faction system where, you know, belie- people rally around beliefs uh, in the game. It's just very elegant the way that that gray morality is a exoskeleton for the whole thing. Especially you know? when, you're, when you're given a universe where the rules are so much different than the rules in our universe where it's like, in some cases, it might be okay to uh, accept like slavery is an okay thing if it's an undead zombie that's carrying around your goods or whatever. If you want to take that approach, I mean, yeah. I don't believe that way, but it's just like, yeah. oh no, slavery works in this context. Please don't take that clip and use it anywhere, people. <laughs> <laughs> but or, like, uh, you know, to, to use an example, to you know, make that make sense and make Bob sound less like a monster. I love <laughs> yeah. slavery, but only with zombies. Yeah. Is that you know, uh, you in the game, you can sell your body into slavery after you die, and people do this to feed their families now. So do you put an end to that? 
You know, yeah, is that is yeah. that ultimately a good thing or a bad thing? Is is it right to take that choice away from them because they're going to be a slave for eternity? They made the choice. You know, it is nothing is really quite as black and white as it is in, in kind of lesser games. Yeah, like even in the beginning, you uh, you confront these zombies and you try to talk to them, but they won't even respond to you. So it's like, is there a consciousness even hidden in this corpse or is it just like an animated pile of flesh that is just uh, built or like engineered to serve one one task at a time? It just, yeah. The rules are so different than our, than our um, you know, rules in our world. You really have to reexamine these situations and understand like what is going on in terms of morality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wanted to mention something real quick to loop back. Um, when you talked about um, using text rather than speech and being able to do a lot more, um, I love the way that this game does a little bit of both, where you'll often get a little bit of speech for an important character, so you get that uh, characterization through that. Like, oh, this is a, this is someone who's gruff, this is person, someone who's sly, but then they the majority of their dialogue is not not in speech. So they can say a lot more. And it means that the unimportant characters, because I can read a lot faster than I can listen. So if I play something like a Dragon Age, I, you know, every villager who has their life story to tell me, if it's not that interesting, it just takes longer for me to get through it. Yeah, yeah. And that was a concern. Uh, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it becomes wearying, you know, as as you go. I I like this kind of old spiderweb software, Bioware, Infinity Engine approach where I can zip through something at my own pace rather than being kind of passive and, and movie, you know, cinematic-like. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I voiced these thoughts on the voice acting episode, um, but I, I feel like voice acting is not always necessary, like you said. And it's and someone who enjoys reading, it was fun to be like, I'm, I'm just reading this game. I'm being told so much, but I'm never being interrupted by, um, you know, I'm not being interrupted by a voice actor who's like five lines behind what I'm reading. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not like there's that trap you fall into where it's like, oh, I lost my place because this guy won't shut up. <laughs> uh, thankfully, a lot of games let you, you know, silence the speech. But um, yeah, in this game, they use it very well. Like in the beginning, um, Mort says a few things to you. He's like, he's your floating skull companion, which I love. Uh, he's a cool guy. He looks like he belongs on a GeoCities webpage floating <laughs> above your, your guest book banner or whatever. You're like Voiced by Rob banner. Paulson. <laughs> What's, oh, yeah. Voiced by Yakko uh, Warner and, yeah. uh, and other characters. Yeah. And I believe he was probably in Baldur's Gate too. They use a lot of top tier voice talent then. That, mm-hmm. that those big interplay bucks, right, guys? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> those are the yeah. days. Yeah. So Jeremy, um, you haven't really added too much, and you probably are were as familiar with this game as I was before I went into it. Can you talk about uh, Planescape in any way? Like, what, what's your experience with the game, and how do you feel about it? My my experience with the game is that uh, I've spent the past fifteen years fuming that it's not available to play on Macintosh. Um, That's right, yeah. I have bought a copy of the game. I own a copy of the game, but it's unusable for me because it doesn't run on my platform and no one's ever created like a good old games type shell to make it work on Mac. So it's been kind of frustrating because, you know, everyone has talked about what a great game it is. Uh, Guys like, you know, Nick Marigos, who is a uh, localizer now at Atlas, so clearly he knows something about good writing in video games, has said it's the best written video game ever. So it's something I'd really like to play, but I just don't have the means to do it, and it's disappointing. So I I didn't really do much reading on the game before uh, this podcast because I don't want to spoil it for myself. <laughs> I'm in this, like, yeah, weird, I had to, uh... weird zone where there's, like, this 15-year-old game, and, you know, like, I, the statute of limitations on spoilers is long over. I can't be resentful if someone spoils it for me, but... Uh, you know, like, I, I don't want to watch, like, Let's Plays of it because I would like to experience this game for myself someday. Yeah. I should mention, though, uh, if you have a PC or a PC-friendly uh, Mac environment, I guess, uh, it's on Good Old Games for nine ninety nine, which is well worth the price. 
if you don't want to play it, uh, there's a really great Let's Play of it on the Let's Play archive that's written in the, like a third person kind of thing, sort of like in this in the style of the game itself. I didn't read too much of that, so I'm not sure how well it's written, but from the little I've seen of it, I really liked it. So if you don't want to play through the game, and I recommend that you do, there's the Let's Play as well. Um, but like, really, I was surprised by this game because Baldur's Gate, uh, I, I, I enjoyed it like on a theoretical level when I was playing it for the podcast we did about it, but it kind of turned me off in some ways because I just am so used to playing Japanese RPGs, and there are so many things that they streamline, although you know they don't tell stories as well as Western RPGs. But in this case, like I said, I played it as an adventure game. It, was, uh, it wasn't what I expected it would be, and because of that, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, th- even the combat, for as much, uh, people, as much people complain about it, it just seemed extremely simple to me. I don't know, uh, Gary, like, what, what do you think about the combat in this game? It gets a, a real bad rap that's mostly deserved, and I think that what, what people are reacting to is that uh, it's not the game's strength. So the game presents this world where you can talk your way out of situations and you can sneak into areas and you can gain favor with a faction that can smuggle you in somewhere or disguise yourself, things like that. And then there are a couple of choke points in the game where combat is the only option. So it's not so much that the combat itself is that much worse than a lot of RPGs of its time. It's worse than Baldur's Gate, but it's not abysmal. It's just that you have no... The game hasn't been emphasizing that, and you've been kind of led to believe that it's going to be something you're going to opt into yeah. rather than be forced into. So it feels bad when it comes up. Um, yeah, that's what I've heard. I mean, like, uh, you can play the game a certain way, but at certain points you'll be forced to, you know, deal with a set of circumstances that you're not prepared for, uh, regardless of how you play the game. But what I liked about it was that, like, Baldur's Gate... uh, I'm not trashing Baldur's Gate. I'm just comparing (laughs) as to... There are different approaches. I respect what Baldur's Gate does, just so you guys know. But I like Planescape better because you start with only two characters, so there's much less micromanaging to take care of with those characters. Um, And then your party can grow up to, what, I think, like, five characters. But uh, I like starting small because, like, the world of Baldur's Gate was not one I was equipped to handle, like, with that many party members immediately. I was losing track of people. I was, like, getting characters confused with each other and things like that but um i really like how they start small it feels like a much more console friendly and it was never a console game but like a much less complex at least initially game it it feels more approachable even though the world and everything is just so ugly and hideous and repellent um it feels a lot (laughs) easier to get into than other um black isle rpgs at least from that era yeah the, the companions you have you also you know they tie into the main plot much more so. So they're much more compelling than any of the, the Baldur's Gate companions. And uh, there's a reason they're there. Yeah. You know? So they, they become part of the, the main quest. Part of the idea of the game is, is finding out their backstories. And it's rewarded you know, with this wonderful story, rewarded mechanically, and it's the initial kind of thrust of the game as well. So there are, they're more manageable. There are fewer of them. And there's a better reason for them to be there. Hmm. Yeah, I, I just, um, I don't know, like, I, I do plan on going back to this game. I, I unfortunately never have time to play, like, outside-of-work RPGs, which is why I've been playing Bravely Default, like, SimCity for the past five months. My town is awesome, but my characters are at level one. <laughs> uh, but at some point in my life, I do want to go through this because it just, uh, it's so compelling. Um, I was immediately hooked by the story. Like, sometimes world-building annoys me because it feels like the writers are always more interested in making up new words and using them as often as possible than they are in making something interesting and like that will hook uh, the reader. Yeah. But in this ter- in this case, the world was complex and they kept describing it to me, but I wanted to know more. Like I want to know who the dustmen are. I want to know like, you know, what the purposes of the undead and like what they're doing in this world and like how their currency and things like that. Like it presents a really compelling mystery and I and I think games they rarely do that. Um 
present a mystery that's worth pursuing to the end. And that's why I do want to play through this game to the end. Because, like, who is this guy? Like, where did he come from? How does he fit into this world? All these things are not apparent from the beginning of the game. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by how literary the answers to those things are. I mean, you know, making the comparison between games and books or games and other media is always kind of a trap, right? Because one, they're different things and that's a good thing. You know, we should celebrate what makes games games. You know, we don't need games to be movies. We have movies. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, there's, it's rare a game, I think, that actually does kind of have that complexity that a well-written novel does and and this game is it's very you know complex and thematically rich like the answer to those questions aren't uh it's one of those things because we make the comparison to uh jrpgs and i love jrpgs again i'm not you know bagging on them any more than you're bagging on uh, Baldur's gate right but i'm always unsatisfied when the you know the end boss ends up being somebody i've never heard of um you know kind of comes oh, in the last yeah. act like the final fantasy last disc thing i think is yeah, atrocious yeah. um it's such a bad idea storytelling wise and uh this does something that is so satisfying with that that i've and i've never seen it before like it just it, i think that you will be very very pleasantly surprised now i want to play it as soon as i get home <laughs> I, I want you to play it so bad <laughs> yeah I, I i do too yeah I, I might just chip away at it steadily across the, across the next couple months but um yeah i mean there's not much more to say like i said this is basically an introduction to planescape i really wish i would have had like the 20 or 25 hours it takes to, to plow through it but I, I did get a really good taste of it and i want to go back and, and gary's sort of like our expert on this episode so like if you want to hear more about planescape obviously play it and listen to gary's uh, watch out for fireballs episodes about that you can just go to i think duckfeed.tv and uh they're on the page i think mm-hmm. that's about as com- complex as it gets in terms of finding a podcast but yeah so um before we go i just have one question to throw out I, like what can modern rpgs take from planescape and i think they can take a lot because planescape had the um had the benefit of being able to work with resources that weren't expensive like text and pre-rendered graphics i mean pre-rendered graphics say what you want about them but the fact that it communicates almost everything through the text is the reason why it can be so complex. Like like we talked about earlier, other systems are tied down by voice acting um, and things like that. And the, the need to create resources for everything that happens and anim- animations too, like things like that. Like, I, like a really cute thing in Planescape was um, you can disguise yourself as one of the dustmen who are these cloaked characters. And they only use knives. But if you equip a weapon, you'll still have that weapon equipped. It will only show you the knife in the animation. And they, they point that out in the character description like, hey, you know, this character will only be will only be wielding a knife, but you'll actually be using your will, your will, sorry your real weapon. And I thought that was cute. They didn't make a new animation for every weapon possible with the Dustman costume. They just has they just have an attack animation, but they mm-hmm. point, they go out of their way to tell you <laughs> that there's a reason why that's happening. Yeah. And you know, in any other game, you, they would have to create animation. They would have to create something for every circumstance, at least in terms of visuals. So yeah, like I feel like it was working with a lot of things that other games. Are, um, Sorry, it wasn't working with a lot of things that other games are now burdened with. So, But there's a sequel coming out. Uh, it was Kickstarter for $4 million, and um, so there's more on the way if you're interested in that. But in terms of what RPGs can learn, I don't know. I just want to see them go beyond the good and evil crap because every time I see a game come out with that focus, um, 
I'm wondering, like, this idea is just so played out. Why are we still doing it? Like, no. There's uh, no reason to believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know what's going to happen at the end, regardless of what mm-hmm. you're trying to do. So yeah. it's just like, I don't know. Um, so that's that's what I want, you know, future RPGs to do. Like, let's let's think more about morality. Let's think more about, like, presenting a compelling mystery that I'll want to follow, things like that. I don't know. Ray, how, how do you feel about, like, what modern RPGs can take from Planescape? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was I was just thinking about what you just said, about like the whole morality stuff. It's yeah, like, it, it's like, it's not worth believing anymore when they say any of that stuff. It's yeah, like, it's essentially just like skill trees. Like I want to be the good skill yeah, tree or, or the, the evil effect, skill tree. Yeah, the Mass Effect thing where the planet's a different fucking color at the end of the game. Thanks, <laughs> thanks assholes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, just like uh, yeah. if it's like go big or go home. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. You know, really. Yeah. Um, nope. So. I, I don't know how else to put it. Really. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, I do feel like it, like the the morality thing is much more a mechanical thing than it is something that reflects narrative. Yeah. Now, like like in Infamous or whatever, you get the good powers or the evil powers, and yeah. it feels the same with everything you do. Um, yeah. Gary, can you talk more about like morality or what you want to see people take from Planescape? I'm just interested from your perspective. Yeah, I, I agree with you for sure. And I think there are a couple of games that do that and do it all right, and they are always flawed in some poisonous way that scares people. You yeah. know, like, like Alpha Protocol or like uh, Vampire Bloodlines. Um, those games do what you're talking about really well. <laughs> yeah. It's just they have these broken systems that are hard to get around. Um, one of the things, just to, so I don't repeat your answer, that I would love to see, and uh, you know, Fallout 2 does this really well. It's kind of a, a Avalon thing. Uh, but I love uh, being rewarded with, you know, do well, do you think I could do this? And then having the answer be yes and have something neat happen. Um, you know, little details like that, you know, if you say make up a name early on that person is, exists. Um, this is a non-spoiler detail, but if you ever need to get back into the, uh, the mortuary, you can pay someone to kill you. That's and, right. And, yeah. I did see that early <laughs> in the game. You know, things, those little tiny details like, Oh, should I try this? And if you do, you're, you're rewarded by that. Um, and there's so much of that in this game, you know, Oh, if I learn this thing, I, I bet you this companion has something to say about that. They probably do. Um, you run into a character um, later who doesn't speak your language and you have two people who can translate for you and they both translate in different ways. And one of them is trying to hide information from you. So you have to compare these two translations. Like just a detail is what I want. Interesting detail is what I, I want more in games. That's yeah. true. Like even in the very beginning of the game, uh, there are these like giant skeleton warriors who are relatively peaceful, I guess. So they don't they don't aggro when you get near them. But if you have a book, you could like undo the runes on their armor and just destroy them. If right. you like compare the runes to the book and then do uh, undo the d- runes in a, in a particular order, like you put them to sleep, then you destroy their armor, then you destroy their being or whatever. I don't know. It's just like all these all these little puzzles within the dialogue system, which I love. Yeah, I wanted to add to that is that the the, the detail thing is really something that's not explored, especially in the Japanese RPGs, where it's like, oh yeah, they'll write you know a tome's worth of crap about the world and all that, but it doesn't it doesn't show up anywhere outside of like the game design document yeah, or the yeah. art book that you have to buy <laughs> for forty dollars. I mean that's uh, that that's a good thing too. It's just like have some detail in there, you know, really think about it and just put it out there for people to find and don't, you know, just don't leave it in the heads of the designers. Yeah, yeah. And, and one yeah. thing I should, really should have pointed out earlier that this is not a fantasy game. I mean, it's a Dungeons and Dragons game, but yeah. it's not like <laughs> swords and dragons and stuff. And uh, again, more RPGs need that kind of setting. It's hard to do, yeah. which is why there's only one Planescape now. But um, <laughs> it's something that should be pursued because I'm just sick of, you know, it's Dragon Age, it's Tales of, it's this, it's that. It's just like, oh, yes, I'm fighting the same things over and over with the same looking characters, wearing armor, shooting, shooting spells off, things like that. I want something different. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think like RPGs these days should take from um, or learn from uh, Planescape Torment? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the morality thing like everyone else. Um, just the, the ambiguity that is so lacking in video games. Um, you know, I guess I guess there's uh, The Walking Dead that kind of gets into that and makes you uh, have hard choices to, to choose between. But, it, you know, that's that's pretty much all the game is. I mean, it's, it's a story yeah, yeah. Uh, without any real, quote-unquote, gameplay. And that's fine. It's just, uh, you know, it's not really what you think of as an RPG. Yeah, I mean, we've we've harped on Bioware, and they're really bad about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, even, even beyond... Uh, even beyond that, like games that try to give you a complex or nuanced or morally questionable narrative, it tends to be kind of railroaded. Like Spec Ops: The Line, like you know, that, that game is really notorious for taking making a statement against war. But there's only one path through that game. Near, if you yeah. you know, it has the the kind of infamous New Game Plus where you discovered that pretty much everything you did your first time through the game was completely horrible but you had to do those things. Like, the game design yeah, yeah. did not give you any other options. The narrative didn't give you any other options. And, I mean, you know, it's fine if you want to tell a story, but you look at something like the Bioshock games that are make such a big deal about the, the morality of choice, and they don't give you any choice. I mean, the first game, Bioshock, um, gave you the ability to kill the, the, the little sisters or not, but that was pretty much it. And... Even that was something that supposedly the publisher <laughs> yeah. kind of shoehorned in there because Irrational didn't really want to do that. They just wanted to tell you their story. And again, it's fine, but it, it rings hollow after a while when you have all these games saying, oh, aren't you so bad for killing people? Oh, you're so terrible, <laughs> you video game murderer. But that's that's how you design the game, buddy. So my choice is, yeah, like, yeah. be moral and don't play your video game? Well, okay. If that's really <laughs> the message you're trying to send me here. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, the meta-commentary so, so is getting really nuanced. tired. Yeah, something more nuanced that, you know, along the lines of what Planescape did, I realize it's really hard to do because you have to design all these outcomes and, and figure out ways to make all these different things you can do mesh with one another. That's that's ta- that's really hard. But, you know, it's it's a uh, I feel like it's it's worth doing and I'm okay with sacrificing yeah. things like voice acting. Um I mean, really the 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 most complex morality we see in video games these days and in RPGs is from the Shin Megami Tensei series and in a lot of cases those games you know use very minimal voice work because they have to factor so much in and cram that into like a 3DS cart which is really tough yeah so that's my thought okay very good yeah I'm glad we all love Planescape Uh, it's a great game you should all play it and um, yeah like I said it took 800,000 words to create that kind of an experience Uh, not everyone has that that ability to crank out all those words but I'm glad that there uh, there's a sequel and I'm glad that um, we've sort of uh, divorced ourselves from the idea that when a game becomes technologically outdated it means it's the end of that kind of a game like because i'm sure we all thought when 2d games were going out of style that was it there would be no more 2d games and i'm sure that people when uh, you know isometric rpgs are going out of style everyone thought like no everything's gonna be in in polygons from now on but there there's a market for these kind of games um people appreciate them and there's they're getting sequels through kickstarter like wasteland is also getting a sequel is that out yet is that out yet pretty much early access Um, okay early access um the beta's out and does it look like Fallout at all? A little bit. Like okay. it looks a little bit like um, you know what Van Buren was going to look like with the oh, original cool. Fallout Three, just a little bit better looking, but same same angles and on the on the action and such. Very good. I'm and I'm gl- so excited. 
And I'm glad that this is happening because I feel like I need to correct the sins of my teenage youth and actually play these games. Now that they're new and now that they can be maybe a little more thoughtful about what new players would expect, um, I'm really looking forward to playing uh, Planescape from the past and the new Planescape whenever that comes out. And uh, yeah, like I'm glad Retronauts opened my mind to these sorts of experiences. And, and mostly I think it's our guest backers that helped out. So thanks a lot to our guest backer for this episode. Um, I'm scrolling up to find his name. Okay, and it was David Pascal. So thanks a lot, David. I really appreciate your contribution. Hopefully, this episode was up to your standards. So let's wrap things up real quick. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitch.tv, as Retronauts. So bookmark all that stuff. Add us to your feeds and whatever happens um, on your cell phones or whatever you use to look at the internet. Um, also, go to our blog, Retronauts.com. You'll find a track listing for the music we use in every episode. Um, we also have links to relevant things that we talked about. And as always, keep the reviews coming. They always help the show. They make the show more prominent on the iTunes Music Store. And that gets us more listeners. And we can always use more listeners. So please give us a review if you haven't. It should only take you a few minutes. And remember how much we love you and how we're just human beings and we make mistakes. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> please. Yes. Uh, so contact Planescape info. is my favorite Obsidian game. Ooh. I was just saying that to make a mistake, so people will <laughs> yell at me about it. It's my favorite oh my. JRPG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so contact info, let me just tell you who I am. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo, B-O-B-S-E-R-V-O. And I also write for US Gamer and Something Awful, so check that out. Uh, Jeremy. I'm on uh, Twitter as GameSpite, where I say more than I did on this podcast. And I also write for US Gamer and Assorted and Sundry other websites. How about you, Gary? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at GaryBuh, G-A-R-Y-B-U-H. Um, you can find uh, my old v- games video game podcast, Watch Out for Fireballs, at duckfeed.tv. And if you are interested in the Infinity Engine, I just started a blog uh, where I'm going through in painstaking detail uh, through the games of that, starting with Baldur's Gate. It's called the Infinity Engineers, and you can also find that at duckfeed.tv. Yes, and uh, Watch Out for Fireballs comes highly recommended, and uh, they might... No, you guys are doing a better job than us sometimes. So uh, we need well, to keep the, uh, the the podcast Cold War going. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and IU. We, we do very different things. We talked about that before. That's true, yeah. We have very different approaches. Um, uh, Ray, where can we find you? Why am I last? I'm in the room with you. Because <laughs> your name begins with I'm an right R. right in front of you. Come on. No, fine. Yeah, all right. All right. Um, I'm RDBAAA on Twitter. Uh, listen to my podcast, No More Whoppers, and, you know, just keep an eye on my Twitter. Sometimes I'll show you some cool things. Secret scroll news coming soon? Nah, no, not secret. Okay. <laughs> not secret scroll news. So, thank you for joining us, everyone. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, take it easy.